It's so good to worship with you guys this morning. Could we give uh, the band a hand and more importantly, God, for leading us this morning? All right. You guys can take a seat. Welcome, friends. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. See a lot of red out there. Anybody got plans later? Yeah? Anybody? Probably watching the game. Uh, what an incredible time to be uh, living in Kansas City. Back-to-back Super Bowls. Uh, Fun fact, this morning, uh, we have the chance to hear from Shibu Matthew, who has preached 100% of the times that the Chiefs have won the Super Bowl in the last 50 years. So, uh, we got that going for us. It's going to be a good morning. Uh, Well, guys, my name is Joe Ratterman. I am one of the pastors here. I lead our high school ministry that meets on Wednesday nights. Um, And there's some pretty incredible things that are happening in the high school space. Um, You know, in a a generation that's largely walking away from God in a a time that our high school experiences look so different than anybody can possibly imagine, um, God is showing up week after week, and these students are living it out. They're owning their faith, they're reaching their friends, they're making a difference. Uh, It's pretty incredible. Um, And it's only possible because of the generosity that you guys show week after week. Uh, Those of you that choose to give on heartlandchurch.org online through the mobile app and through those green boxes in the back. Uh, So thank you so much um, for those of you that choose to, to help us do what we do each week. Um, tonight, we have the privilege of hearing from Shibu Matthews. He continues our series called Interior Design. Um, but before we do that, we're going to take a look at a quick clip. All right. Thanks, guys. You're watching HCCTV, where home is where the heartland is. looking to get away from the city and start a new adventure. Is uh, all this necessary? Does the microphone need to be this close? Hey, kid, can somebody warm this coffee up for me? I'm Frank. I, I don't think you need to know what I do for a living. And I, I don't think you need to know what my budget is. Hey, uh, how much longer is this gonna take? I'm, I have a lot of things to do. Uh, Frank, is Millie joining us for this interview? No. Why would she need to be involved in a decision like this? That, that's, uh, that's not happening. Oh, our operations director, Steve Fisher. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you can give my hand, some of you. Well, uh, good morning. I'm going to, yes, tell you another awkward story from my past today. Uh, I do these for a reason. I do these because I'm trusting that some of you out there are, are or were as awkward as I am. Okay, so I'm just hoping that there's some, some empathy in the crowd. But first, before we do that, uh, I want to tell you where we're going today, just kind of give you a roadmap. Uh, and then I want to read a beautiful and challenging passage that's going to ground us in the scriptures today. 
uh, and it's from the letter of Ephesians. So uh, first, where we're going is this morning, we are going to look at love, compatibility, and commitment, key concepts in relationships. And then we're going to hone in on marriage for a segment. Many of you will find that relevant, either because you are married, were married, anticipate being married. And then finally, we're going to finish by coming back out and looking at all of us and looking at the most important example of love and commitment, Jesus. Right on? You ready for that? Okay. Uh, and then much, much later this evening, we're going to win a Super Bowl. Okay? <laughs> I did. I wore the same shirt as a year ago this weekend. So we're, we're going to win. Well, let's uh, first ground ourselves in this passage, God's word. It's from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 32. Here's what it says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. We will return and unpack the, some of the many truths in those, those verses but first, uh, 25-ish years ago, I found myself preparing for Valentine's Day as a middle school student. I was obsessive about how this day would perhaps define my dating career. I was 12 years old and in the seventh grade, and uh, there was a girl I was really interested in. She was really smart. She was really cute. Really, really cute. And she wasn't going out with anybody. So I thought I had an opening to swoop in and make this girl my own and be her boyfriend. My plan was this big. It was a Hershey's bar. So I bought a Hershey's chocolate bar and uh, I was going to give her the chocolate and, uh, and the best part is I was going to have it magically appear in her locker. Our school didn't have locks on the lockers. It was a small school and so I knew her locker number and this was the plan. The night before Valentine's Day, I remember holding the chocolate in my hand thinking, what do I do? Like, do I... Do I write a note? Do I like from a secret admirer or do I shibu kind of my name or do I just leave it blank and declare my love afterwards? Well, uh, I think I thought it would be rather obvious what the next step was when the moment came. And so I didn't do anything except I wrapped it in a little ribbon um, and I, uh, I thought she would find the chocolate bar in her locker and say, where is the boy who did this? Come rise, let us be the new couple of seventh grade. <laughs> I would rise from my desk and take her hand. We would be the new couple. I think that's how my Wonder Years version of the daydream went, you know, like that's what's going to happen. And Well, Valentine's Day came and I made my way to her locker after everyone else was in class. And I opened it up and put the chocolate bar in and walked to my class a minute late and nobody was the wiser. At the next break, I could hear the slight commotion in the hallways. The girls crowded around her locker to see what she'd found. And what was going inside 12-year-old me? Well, 
giddy excitement and pure fear, like just entwined. I had no idea what to do next. I had no plan. Eventually, the girls started asking the guys in the class if anyone knew anything about the mystery Hershey's bar, and I didn't say a word. No one knew, not even my best friend. Like, this was my secret. I said nothing. I did nothing. And then I thought to myself, I guess this is how our relationship will begin. You know, <laughs> that deluded thinking of this is all going according to no plan. <laughs> A few weeks went by and I was still infatuated with this girl and I had done nothing to own up to the deed so she knew nothing of my affection for her. Summer rolls by, uh, another fall semester rolls by and, and spring rolls in and I have not let go of the idea of this girl. It's now eighth grade, all right? <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, I gotta up my game, I guess. I don't know where the wise counsel was in my life in this moment, like, uh, but I, I thought, let's bypass the Hershey's bars and go for a heart-shaped Russell Stover's box of chocolates. That's what we'll do. So I did it again. <laughs> I didn't choose Valentine's Day, though. For some reason, I premeditated and was like, I want to do it the day before Valentine's Day because she'll expect it on Valentine's I don't know what was going on in my mind, but I, uh, I did this. And uh, I didn't say anything again. <laughs> Time was slipping away now. And I was head over heels infatuated with this girl. That's what it really was. It wasn't love. It was just me thinking about her. It was an obsession with her that never translated into a relationship where I could really learn anything about her. The idea of her is what drove me to do the ridiculous year after year. I gave up in ninth grade when she got a boyfriend who told her that he liked her. I just thought, That's, this, that ship has sailed. <laughs> Are you feeling this tension with me? Uh, like that's middle school me, but, uh, but this tension, I really thought I was compatible with this girl. I was asking and answering questions in my own mind. These questions were, do we like each other? Well, surely, after the chocolate. And uh, do we have stuff in common? Or does she like me? She seems to laugh at my jokes. And I never found out if we were compatible, but I carried these compatibility questions into my high school years, into my college years and into my 20s, these compatibility questions when I thought about a partner. It's a really healthy concept for a relationship, compatibility. It's important. Are we right for each other in this friendship, in this dating relationship? Do we have enough in common to build a, a friendship from? These compatibility questions are the right questions to ask. They're the right questions to ask up until one moment in a different relationship, and that's the, the relationship of marriage. There's this moment at an altar when a couple is entering into the sacred vows of marriage and the, the question changes. The questions you ask change. I think marriage is one of God's favorite human relationships. Yeah, there's the, the parent-child one that he makes much of. There's different metaphors, but this marriage metaphor, this relationship is really special to God. I think he smiles when he sees marriages happening Vows exchanged. Jesus loved it so much, he used it as a way of describing how we can know him. He called himself the bridegroom and he called the church the bride. That's how much God loves marriage, enough to compare our relationship with him to. In our passage today in Ephesians chapter 5, we see this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and, pre- and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, blemish but holy and blameless, blameless. Love in marriage can be just as Jesus loving the church. Jesus giving himself up for his bride, the church. A while back, I was walking on a beach in Florida on vacation, and it was an overcast day. The family had stayed back at the hotel, and I just wanted to get to the beach to see the beach. There was a reason the family stayed back. It was just an awful, cold, windy, overcast day, and not a great beach day. I looked to my right as I sat there on the beach, and I saw people in dresses and suits and realized a wedding was happening just a few hundred feet from me. Immediately, I felt bad for this couple. Here's a, a photo of, uh, of the the wedding day. They've had this day on their calendar for some time and now they have a storm rolling in over the Gulf as they say their vows and they pictured a beautiful sunset perhaps and now have had to bump up their wedding just to beat the rain in the afternoon. Not ideal, very, very far from perfect for a bride and a groom. And yet regardless of the weather, they got married. And on this dreary day at the beach, great joy and happiness emerged. This was their day, and this was the day. This was the moment at this altar on this beach where the compatibility questions got left behind. The questions for this couple and every married couple after your wedding day are not compatibility questions. There's no more asking, is this the right person for me? Are we right for each other? Do we have enough in common? The questions are now about commitment. Not compatibility, but commitment. Am I committed to this person? How do I daily express my commitment to my husband or wife? I think that's why God loves marriage so much. It gives us a picture of his commitment to us. If you're married, you get a chance to represent your love one for another to the world. I believe the world's valuation of marriage is much like the stock market. It's not. In God's eyes, marriage is highly valuable. It always has been. And because it's valuable, because it's a picture of God's love and commitment to us, he gives these words about two people in marriage from Ephesians, loving and submitting to one another. I want you to look at these verses and some of the words I'll read will be in bold. Jesus loves the church. He cleanses the church. He makes her radiant without stain, wrinkle, or blemish. He makes her holy and blameless. He feeds and cares for the church. He is one flesh with the church. Paul makes all of these comparisons between a human relationship, marriage, and then says it is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So we can look to Jesus to get perspective on the marriage commitments that you and I are in. And I want to challenge us with really just one singular question today. A simple question that you can ask from now on is this. What does love require me to do? And our example is Jesus. Our example is what Jesus did for us and demonstrated for us. He did not ask compatibility questions. He asked questions of commitment. When Jesus left heaven and came to earth, when he went to the cross and was crucified on the cross, he didn't ask, is this compatible with my nature? just going to make me happy? He asked a much higher question. What does love require me to do? Requires a word that has some connotation, right? Like if you're required to do something, it's 
It's generally negative. But then I read scriptures in the New Testament where it says, for the joy set before him endured the cross. And so there was no duty in the sense of the negative connotation for Jesus. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. He asked that question, what does love require me to do? As I think about that question for you and I in marriages, I've I've been married for 12 years and there are people leap years ahead of me and there are people who are behind me by 12 years, you know? And so I realize I have a lot to learn in this. But as I thought about this question, what does love require me to do? I thought of a few things. Love sacrificially means someone else's needs above mine own. It means pursuing emotional health so that I could be individually healthy so that I could enter our marriage relationship and be an emotionally healthy couple. It means getting counseling to be really practical and drill down to the nitty gritty, like three rounds of counseling in 12 years for me that have been formative, shaping. When I marry couples here at the church, I I say, hey, six months after your wedding, let's just put an appointment in the calendar because you go to your dentist twice a year. So let's check in on your marriage twice a year. Let's, let's put something in the calendar that says, we're going to check in on how this is going. And so I just can't promote or value getting expert help enough. That's hard. What, the question is hard. What does love require of me, of you? It's a hard question, but the example of Jesus is not an easy one. I want to take you for a moment back to the beach wedding because Uh, I couldn't help but get a closer look. (laughs) The crowd dispersed. Everyone had gone back to the hotel, but the the wedding altar was still there and the chairs were still there. And so I walked that way. The wind was no less fierce. The salty mist had just kind of covered me. And I remember licking my lips and I could taste the salt. And I dusted the sand off my pants and walked up to this altar. And here's a picture of the, the altar. I found a simple white curtain some wood forming the place where the couple had said their vows. And behind the surf just pounded. The storm was coming. (laughs) It was cold. And yet this couple stood in the sand and declared their vows of love one to another. They showed up and got married. And they're now living the life where commitment is the question asked, not compatibility. It took me back to um, when I asked my wife to marry me. This is 13 years ago now, but uh, there was a, a coffee shop at College in Antioch Scooters, and Scooters was where Anna and I had had our first date. Uh, and uh, there was a squared off table there and some chairs that are pretty unique. They have these little holes in them, and I just knew they were Scooters chairs. And, and so I called Scooters and just said, talked to the coffee manager and said, could I, could I borrow the table and chairs? My wife and I, my girlfriend and I had our first date there, and I'm going to ask her to marry me. I'd like to take the chairs to a spot that's special to us. And she was like, no, you can't do that. I was like, I, like, I really, this is a important deal. What? She's like, if you give me a driver's license, it was like, I need it to drive to the location. I can't like, how about like $300? What, name a price. I'll give you a deposit. You know, it was her idea. And I was like, sure, we'll do a deposit. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm not going to run off with the table, you know. And so uh, Ward Stoffer and uh, my, my brother Abe picked up the table for me <laughs> and put it in their minivan and they drove ahead of us to a location. This location was Vera Road, which is a half hour from Manhattan, Kansas. Anna had gone to K-State and one of our trips, 
visiting Manhattan. We'd stopped at Vera Road. It's a beautiful name for a road, like Vera. I don't even know what it means. It's just a beautiful name, Vera Road. And, and it was this starry night where we looked at the stars off I-70. The Flint Hills were around us. And, and so this spot was in my mind. Like, I want to get the table from College in Antioch to the Flint Hills. <laughs> and thankfully, with $300, the coffee manager had let me do that. And, uh, and as I did it, my, I, I needed a reason to go to Manhattan because we were now driving an hour and a half almost to Manhattan and then turning around and coming back for an engagement party. Uh, my wife is very practical, uh, so I couldn't tell her that that's what we were going to do. Uh, but I said, uh, hey, we're going to go see Frank in Manhattan. And I called Frank and I said, Frank, I need you just to play a concert. Like, just tell me that you're playing a concert on this night and we're coming to your house to see this concert. And so that was the ruse to get me to Manhattan with Anna. And, and now it's, it's like 4 or 5 p.m. It's not quite dark yet and we're driving and we get to Vera Road and Abe and Warder in front of me by 15 minutes. And I'm just nervous, wondering if they'll get to the right spot because they've never seen this spot before. Uh, and we're pre-text messaging, I'm driving, so that's, I just have to blindly trust that when I get off on Vera Road, this, everything's going to be ready. A table, chairs, some candles, some flowers ready for me. Well, I pull off Vera Road, and it's daylight now, and I don't understand the location, because it's definitely Vera Road, but there's a gravel lot, and there's an abandoned gas station called Stuckey's right there, and it's like a really beat up, but windows are broken in. And I'm like, I, this is not what I remember. But then I see the candles. So Abe and Ward have found the spot. And so Anna's a little nervous because she sees candles in a parking lot that's in front of a rundown building. And I stop and we get out of the car and I'm just nervous. And I don't know that she's kind of freaking out about the moment, but we get out and she realizes when she sees the table uh, that this is a special moment. And we walk there and I ask her to be my wife and and she says yes. And, and it's just a beautiful moment. I got a couple of pictures from it. There's a picture of the table first. And then uh, and after she said yes, just this. <laughs> I don't know what face I'm making there. It's a, it's a very happy man. So what you, what you can't see here is there's a fence behind us. Uh, and uh, there's a dead deer carcass to the right. I don't know. I, I don't know how I didn't see that until the, we didn't see it like until we looked at the pictures. Like that's a rotting deer in the back. Like how does a deer even run into a fence and just rot like that? I tell you that story for a reason because uh, sometimes the day that you show up for your marriage, the day that you show up is a gloomy day at the beach. Sometimes the day is Perfect. And sometimes our plans of beautiful prairies get ruined by a deer carcass. And it's on each one of those days that Jesus shows up to love, cleanse, feed, and care for his bride, the church. He shows up for us, his very imperfect bride, to come and be married to him. And so the question, what did love require of Jesus? He answered that question with his life. He gave himself up so that we could be radiant without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless. I was uh, this morning just kind of noodling on this message and 
a city of champions. I realized we, we are a city of champions. Today's the day we defend a football championship and, and we are champions. And, and the Lord brought this phrase, I think, and he just said, championship marriages. You don't hoist the Lombardi trophy by accident and you don't get a championship marriage by accident. You work dang hard. <laughs> you work your keister off. There's an intentional journey to get there and you don't get caught up in what your marriage is or isn't. Today you ask the question, what does love require? And because Jesus asked the question, showed up every day of his earthly life and into heaven now, what does love require? I believe today that uh, his family, the church, the bride of Jesus is growing larger every day across the globe and in our city. And there are people saying yes to Jesus and you can be a part of that family, that church too. His family responding to his life. You're responding to his life, what he did for you, for us. He gave all of himself to make you and I holy and blameless. Some of you watching on a screen here in person, you're just feeling drawn to that level of love and commitment right now. A commitment that someone has for you that you don't have for them perhaps. But that commitment, that love that Jesus has expressed is drawing you towards him. And if that's you, I just, uh, you may be hearing his spirit saying, you child, I wanted to give myself for you, child. And if that's you, I wanna invite you to pray some of these words with me. They're, it's funny, they feel like marriage vows as I wrote this prayer, they, they feel very much like vows because that's what this life of following Jesus is. It's a vow to a groom and that groom's name is Jesus. So here's the prayer. I'm gonna read it once and then uh, read it slower the second time and and give you a chance to, in your heart, say these words to God. Here's the prayer. God, I am choosing to show up at the altar today. You have loved me from the beginning. I see it now. I'm not perfect. I know all those imperfections too well. But you sent your son Jesus and he willingly gave himself up for me. He did that so I would be a radiant, without stain or wrinkle or blemish person. So that I could be holy and blameless. So I'm choosing to show up at the altar today, just as I am, knowing you love me, I love you too. In the name of Jesus, who gave himself up for me, for us, I pray. Amen. So I'm going to read it again, just a phrase at a time. Um, and if, if you're not praying this prayer, I'd encourage you to, to pray for those who are praying this prayer because it's happening in real time, in this moment, in this room, and in living rooms, and wherever folks are tuning in. Here's the prayer. God, I am choosing to show up at the altar today. You have loved me from the beginning. I see it now. I'm not perfect. I know all those imperfections too well.
but you sent your son Jesus and he willingly gave himself up for me. He did so that I would be a radiant without stain or wrinkle or blemish person. So that I could be holy and blameless. So I'm choosing to show up at the altar today just as I am, knowing you love me. I love you too. In the name of Jesus, who gave himself up for me, for us, I pray. Amen. Championship people. Like if, if you prayed that prayer, if you've said that prayer, that's, that's your identity. And today, you just get to choose to live into that identity. We would love to pray with you. Uh, I'll be on the Zoom room in just a few minutes if you'd like to pray there. Our prayer team will be right here. They would love to pray with you too. Uh, thanks for being here today. Thanks for partnering with us in bringing the good news of Jesus to a hurting world. And thanks for saying yes today. Have a great Sunday and go Chiefs.